couple of key points <clears throat> that we need to get. Many of you probably know this, but um, this woman was going to the well at a time of the day when it's just her there. And she's not going early in the morning when everybody else would have been in the cool of the day and, and around what, have, what really would have been her peer group. She's there by herself. See, what would happen is going in the morning, early in the morning with, with the other ladies, it would be a bit of a, of a not only a purpose to, to get the water, but a moment where they could enjoy some community together, where they could enjoy some fellowship. It would be the modern day water cooler. It would kind of be like the, the elementary school drop-off in the morning where the moms stop and they, they visit for a little bit after dropping off the kids and, and they share things about what's going on in their life. And, and that's not what this woman gets to experience. She's there alone by herself. And we find out why. She's had four husbands. And, and the current guy she's with is not her husband. It's, it's a live-in mate. And we don't know why that is. The Bible doesn't explain why. But we do know that it's something that would be shameful for her. In our day and age, it's a little more common. It's not something that's going to, to bring as much shame. But for her, she's kind of shunned in this moment, alone and by herself. <clears throat> now, as a side note for us as Christians, one of the things that, that just kind of really just kind of spoke to me just even after I prepared is that Jesus spends time pursuing this woman in what to me seems a little bit like a pointless, maybe an awkward conversation, maybe an inefficient ministry opportunity. He's only got three years of ministry and he chooses to go out of his way and pursue this woman that the Jews have no dealings with. And I don't know about you guys, but sometimes like in the Christian life, it can kind of feel like early on, it's a little awkward, and then, ah, you kind of avoid those things. When you're early on in your walk, and you're on fire, and you're excited, you, you don't shy away from those moments, and Jesus doesn't in this. Now, I want to look at their interaction, and there's three responses that this woman at the well has with Jesus. First is, in verses 10 through 15, the response is, <clears throat> The interaction is, Jesus says, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying this to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. And the woman says, you have nothing to draw with. And she's going back and forth with Jesus in this point. And then ultimately she ends up saying, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Her first response with Jesus is that she really just wants a way out just give me this water so I don't have to come back here. Can I just have this quick fix? Jesus, can you just fix this thing? I don't really care to deal with you any more than you just fixing this. It's embarrassing. It's awkward. I'm alone. Can you just fix this? Give me that water so that I don't have to come here to draw water. Jesus could have done that. He could have done that. And I probably would have done that. The easy way, the flashy way, hey, boom, let's do this. Let's get some, let's, let's draw some headlines. Let's make this real simple. 
But Jesus isn't content there. Jesus is going for something more than that. The next response she has comes in verse 20. Jesus says to her, and there he continues this conversation with her. He says, yeah, you're right. He's talking about her husbands, and, and he goes on with her, and she says, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus has just called her out and said, listen, I know. I know your story. You've had four husbands. You're living with somebody right now. Awkward. Really awkward. The simple thing, give her the water. Jesus is trying to pierce her heart. Jesus wants to dig into the nitty gritty. He wants to get down in deep into her heart and really heal her. Not put a band-aid on this, but heal her. And she wants to avoid it, like all of us. I did the same exact thing. When Jesus was really trying to dig into my heart, what does she say? Well, our fathers worshiped on this mountain. Say that in Jerusalem, this is a place where you worship. She starts getting theological. She tries to escape it. She tries to avoid this. We all do this. Jesus is trying to get into the nitty gritty of our heart and heal us. And we look for ways to avoid it. For me, it came in all kinds of different forms. I've tried to hide from Jesus all the time in different ways. I remember early on as a Christian, I had all these, I loved apologetics. I'd love to read through creation and, and I'd really think I had these great arguments against Jesus. Oh yeah, well, what about this? And what about this? And what about this? I remember arguing early on with him in my mind. If you're perfect and you created everything, and I've probably shared this before, if you created everything, and I know that the earth is 360 degrees, or a sphere is 360 degrees, and all this, and you create everything, how come there's 364 days? And then we, actually, it's not even perfect, like there's a leap year, and how ridiculous and absurd. I used to sit there and banter and argue with Jesus, these little points, and Jesus kept wanting to come back to my heart and fix what was in my heart. And that was this discontent that I had, and he's doing the same thing here with this woman at the well, and she is avoiding it. It's not comfortable to deal with matters of the heart. Before we look at the result of their conversation, there's a third response she has, and it's coming up here in a second. Listen, I understand as Christians, non-Christians and Christians, whether you know Jesus and walk with Jesus or you don't, this life is tough. It's kind of a process. The, the Christian calls it sanctification. It's maturing. It's growing in Christ. And it's a process. And I have no doubt that it was a process for her. Four husbands, she knows, she knows that there's a Messiah coming. She's heard. This isn't news to her. I don't think this was the first time she's like, man, I wanted something more for my lives, for my life. And I believe that about all of us. I see people, and I see people blowing it big time. In our community, worldwide, friends, whatever, I think we're all in that same boat. I think people really, really want to do the right thing. I really, truly believe that about people. But for some reason, there's this growing process that happens 
especially in your walk. We think we've got it figured out, and then boom. Oh, man, again. I've gone to that spot again. I've done this. I thought I was over that. Just a few days ago, um, I had a similar situation, not necessarily with sin or anything like that, but being born and raised in Southern Oregon, my boys and wife may have thought it was pretty simple, but being born and raised in Southern Oregon, I've spent plenty of times camping and hunting and being out in the woods. And every summer, my boys and I, we, we try to just get away. We try to go off the grid. No cell phones can be used there. We try to just take very minimal food, try to kill or catch whatever we're going to eat. We go where nobody else is, and we just get away from everything. They take their hammocks. I take the little, the little tent. And I know better. I know better. This is just a few days ago. I totally know better. We get out in this spot where nobody is. There's nobody out there. We've got some jerky, brought a few treats that we, you know, we're not roughing it too bad. They've got way too many weapons, way too many weapons. Our backpacks are loaded down with weapons we don't need. I don't know why. Can't build a fire, so we had to take weapons. So we're out there and just kind of having fun, not catching any fish, just doing whatever. And we're noticing tracks of some different animals and we're noticing some fresh this and that, you know. And we've got a nice pack of beef jerky and we've got all, all, all this food or whatever. Well, they're in their hammocks. I'm like, ah, I don't really want them to have to deal with that. So I just take all the food and just kind of cram it into my tent, you know, no big deal. And put it in my tent. And I'm in bed like, not even a half hour, 45 minutes. And I'm not kidding. Like this tent, I have to sleep like at an angle to fit in it. It's really, really small so it it can fit in your backpack. Right next to my head, I can hear this. (laughs) Like deep, heavy breathing and this sniffing right by my head. And the hair on my arms, just on neck and arms, just stand straight up. And I just, it was an ab workout for a second because I just kind of leaned forward and I may or may not have had a gun in my hand. And I just am sitting there like, and I can still hear this. So I'm like, okay, okay. It's going to go away. Stops for a second. I lay back down. Not 10 minutes later, more intense, right? The, I mean, we're talking right on the wall of my tent, right by my head. And I'm picturing just like a little, just a little scratch trying to get some food would probably just peel the scalp right off me. And I'm just, whew, pull back up, and I may or may not have fired off a little warning shot, I don't know, but the next morning, the next morning, we got out, we got out, I didn't sleep very good that night, I was cold, my body doesn't handle the ground like it used to, but we found some massively big bear tracks right in our camp, and I know better. It would have been really simple. 50 feet away, just put all our food, or they take it, whatever. They're good. Don't touch the coffee, but you can have the jerky. I know better, and yet I did that. I did that. That's how our life can be. But there's a theme to that. God is working something in our lives. There's no quick fixes. There's this process that we're going through. And if you are a Christian, you have to trust this process. Trust the process. God is working something in your life, but you have to let him into your heart to work through the nitty-gritty, sometimes those things that are awkward that we don't want to deal with. God wants to get in there. 
and he wants to do some work in your life. I don't know if you're a podcaster, but James Dennis introduced me to a, a, a new podcast by Malcolm Gladwell, and it's fascinating. It's not a Christian podcast, um, but I've, I've been listening to some, some of them lately, and one of them is called Revisionist History, and it's really cool because they go through, it just kind of reminded me of, of us and our walk. Nothing about this recent podcast was biblical in the fact that it parallels the Christian walk for us. They were looking at what they call conceptual innovators and experimental innovators. And really what they're saying is in creativity, there's two different things that can happen. There's the boom, touched it and it turned to gold. It just happened. And then there's the other where it's, man, it's this long and lengthy process. And they look at two artists. I'm not a big art guy. Enjoy it. I can say, hey, that looks cool, you know. And I imagine here in Southern Oregon, we probably don't have a lot of French artists, but, but they go through and they look at artists and they look at Picasso and his impact. And they look at this other artist, French artist, uh, forgive me if I'm butchering the name, Cézant. And what they found is right around the 1900, turn of the century, 1900, Picasso, whatever he touched, it was just like, boom, instantly. Beauty. Cézant would go through and do these paintings and what should have taken maybe five renditions would be like a hundred and he would hate it. And it would take him time and time and time again to get something. And so these economists studied it and and they said, really what we have here, they call it conceptual innovation where you get a concept, boom, you put it down. It's gold. Maybe that's how Matt is when he's preparing for a study. For me, it's like 60 hours and I've got five minutes. I'm like, ugh. And then experimental innovators are the ones where it's continuing to be this process. They looked at Picasso and Cezanne. Herman Melville, at 32, strikes gold with Moby Dick. Mark Twain, it was his late 40s. Huckleberry Finn, not even really fully satisfied with what he had created. Orson Welles in his 20s, gold. Hitchcock, his late 50s. You can go over and over and you see it in your lives. There's these young protégés that just, they have it nailed. And meanwhile, you're just like, gosh, I suck at life. Look at this kid. They're killing it. It's experimental innovation. I've got a song that we're going to play for you. And I want you to tell me if you know the artist. Josh has it. Listen real quick. Anybody know that song? What's the song? What's it called? What's it called? Hallelujah. Okay, Megan just did a little snippet of it here a second ago. Now, does anybody know who the artist of that song is? Shrek? So my kid said. My kid said Shrek. Neil Diamond did a version. Anybody, anybody know the original author of that song? Who said that? Yes. Hey, I've got a Fred Meyer gift card here for you, Okay. <laughs> You're the winner. Mr. Frerich is the winner. Okay. Now listen, I don't know how much is on it. I just found it in my glove box before I came out here. Could be 38 cents. Could be $100. I don't know. Leonard Cohen. Leonard Cohen. The song is called Hallelujah. It's been, it's been covered over the last 20 years by 
U2, Neil Diamond, Justin Timberlake, Elton John, Willie Nelson. So many different people have done it. My personal favorite, when Megan and Trevor did it at Christmas at the PAC a few years ago. But listen, Leonard Cohen began writing that song in 1979. He didn't like it, kept rewriting it, kept rewriting it. He finished it in 1984. He still isn't really impressed with it, but he takes it to CBS. And there's a guy there named Michael Yetnikoff. And he's this major producer at this time. He produces Michael Jackson's Thriller. He produces Bruce Springsteen's Born in the USA. He is the main guy right at the time. He hears it and he says, that's garbage. That's junk. We're not, we're not going to record it. And so he gets a little down about it. He runs across a guy named Bob Dylan, probably heard of him. Bob Dylan loves it, encourages him to get it on something. So he gets it on this little independent label. It doesn't do very well. He keeps tinkering with it. He rewrites some of the verses like 70 times. There's a guy, some of you may know, uh, John Cale. He's kind of a famous artist from the 70s and 80s. He hears Leonard Cohen perform it live in New York. He says, I love that song. I got to get it. Leonard Cohen sends him like 15 pages of lyrics. There's all this mess he's been working on. John Cale rewrites it, but he can't get it recorded. It goes on like this French indie album. It goes nowhere. It ends up in this, this like little podunk record shop in New York. And it's two random people that one starts with one girl named Janine, not even famous. She buys it. She has it in her apartment. Some young aspiring artist who's not famous, he's just this young teenage, early 20s guy, he house sits for her. He's house sitting for her and he's just bored and he obviously doesn't have an iPod at the time, so he actually has to kind of figure out something to do. He finds an album, puts it on. He hears this song that John Cale recorded that was first done by Leonard Cohen that Bob Dylan liked. And he's like, I got to do that song. So he does it himself. His name is Jeff Buckley. Some of you may have heard of Jeff Buckley. He is the major influence for Radiohead and Coldplay. They point back to Jeff Buckley. He rewrites it, puts it out on an album, gets a record deal. The album goes nowhere. 1994, he records it, and it goes nowhere. 15 years after it was written by Leonard Cohen. In 1997, Jeff Buckley is waiting for his band and he's standing by the Mississippi River and he's got boots on, fully clothed. For some reason, he jumps in and starts swimming and he's singing the songs, to, the lyrics to a Led Zeppelin song and he disappears out of sight, drowns, gone. And then somebody discovers this album he recorded and then a tribute album, album gets done to Jeff Buckley, who drowned unexpectedly. In 2008, after many, many different people have heard and redone this song, it reaches number one on the most downloaded songs in the world or something at that time, 2008. It's 29 years after the song has been recorded. Multiple, multiple renditions. Listen, there are so many little steps through that process that if one of those things didn't happen, the song doesn't, we wouldn't know it today. We wouldn't know it. And they say, that is the thing. That is the thing with experimental innovation. That is the thing when sometimes 
creating genius takes a while. I see in all of us that God is trying to create that. And it's a process. Do not give up hope. Do not give up hope. The thief on the cross is our prime example. All would seem lost for that guy about to die. And Jesus, he says, Jesus, I want to be with you. Moments before his death, and Jesus says, let's go. Today you will join me in paradise. Do not give up hope, Christian. So listen, it is a process that we need to trust, but you have to let that process begin. Chapter four of John, beginning in verse 25. Let's read verse 25 and 26. The woman said to Jesus, after he has just said, God is spirit and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming. He who is coming is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Skip with me to verse 28. This is her last response. There's been three responses so far. Finally, after Jesus has been prying at that, those painful parts of her heart, that shame, and digging in, it says, so the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. Skip ahead to verse 39. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days, and many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. This woman, who's been cast out and alone and has dealt with this shame her whole life, and that third response, she goes back into town because she has some great news that she has to share. Jesus has redeemed this woman to the point where she is brought back into community. She's no longer ashamed. She's brought back into community. In this day and age, for this woman who has been experiencing this shame to go into the town just exclaiming this great news, she'd look like a fool. It would be awkward. It would seem pointless. And yet, because of it, many believed. She's been brought back into community. She's been emboldened by Jesus. She's been given a purpose because she's let Jesus into her heart. Now listen, we, we are all this woman at the well. We're all this woman at the well. Jesus, for me, didn't come meet me at a well. But Jesus was whispering to me on, on late Saturday nights or early Sunday mornings after I was out doing whatever, had graduated from college, good job, single guy, a little bit of money, hanging out with the guys, living for the weekend, doing my thing, going out, having fun, and then going, man, is this it? There's got to be more. And Jesus was working in my heart bit by bit by bit, saying, I have living water. 
I have living water for you. I want to remember that moment in my life. If you've been saved for any amount of time, if you've been walking with Jesus for any amount of time, I want you, I want me to go back to that place where we remember, listen, I was like that woman at the well, spinning my wheels, wanting more than what I had from life. I want to remember that feeling where I wanted to run into town like her without shame, saying, look at, look at what I have in life now. And having people look at me going, wait a second, aren't you? Yeah, yeah, I'm him. I'm that guy. But Jesus, that was me. But Jesus, and that's her. I, yeah, you're right, I am that person. But now because of Jesus, this is where I'm at. I don't want to forget all the little moments in my life that have brought me to where I'm at. Whether it's a little New York album store or a, a Jeff Buckley drowning in the river or somebody redoing, I don't want to remember, I don't want to forget. I want to remember all those little moments in my life that have brought me to where I am so I can run out proclaiming, look at who I was and now look at who I am. Look at what he has done for me. Some of you don't personally know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. But you've never really experienced the shame of being married four times or having something that difficult, that big of a weight to bear. Life hasn't been super bad. There's some things that, yeah, you know, I can deal with. Jesus is pursuing you. He wants you to get more out of life. My life wasn't horrible. It wasn't horrible, but I was missing out. Ecclesiastes 3 says that we were created with this eternity, eternity in our hearts that we cannot fill with anything else. The non-Christian can enjoy life. The non-Christian can enjoy a great steak dinner, a beautiful sunset, a glass of wine, an intimate night with their wife. The non-Christian can enjoy all of those things. But for the non-Christian, it stops at the end of that. You end up worshiping that and it ends. It doesn't fulfill. And then we're left with, oh, I need the next thing. I need the bigger car. I need the better trip. I need the younger wife. I need this. For the non-Christian, there's no end to it. You cannot fully experience the life God has created for you without him. Now for the Christian, you experience those things and then you roll up into praise. Thank you, Lord, for bacon. Yes. Thank you for these kids. Thank you for this vehicle, whatever it is. Thank you for this. There's this famous interview from several years back with Tom Brady, multiple Super Bowls, supermodel wife, beautiful kids, people that adore and worship him every weekend, great looks, all of these things. And he says, I've got to believe that there is more to life than this. I've got to believe there's more. There is. The interviewer asked him, what is it? He says, I don't know. I do know. I know what that is. God's not trying to rob you of experiencing those things. He wants you to put those things in their proper place. Now, for some of you, you have felt what this woman feels. Life has not gone how you wanted. 
There has been shame. There have been poor decisions. There are hurts. There is pain. She continues to try to find ways to fill that gap with men. Some of you, it's money, it's job, it's a few beers on Thursday night, it's a ladies, it's clicking on this website or clicking here, and it's not doing it. It's just continuing to bring shame and condemnation. And Jesus says, let me into that part of your heart that's hurting. Let me in there. And let me redeem that. Open your heart and let's start this process. I want to close with this. I was given this book about 13 years ago. And I figured since school is starting in just a couple days, I know the kids are going to be upset when I say that, but starting in a couple days, When I first started teaching at North Middle School, my cooperating teacher, Shirley Albertson, gave me this as a gift. And it's, as I was reading through this, it just reminded me of it. We're going to pretend like we're going back to school. I'm going to read this to you, okay? Are we okay with that? It's going to be a little different, okay? Matt's not going to let me do this again. I'm taking videos of you guys. I'm giving away Fred Meyer cards. We're reading kids' books. It was fun while it lasted, all right? It's called The Touch of the Master's Hand. "'Twas battered and scarred, and the auctioneer thought it scarcely worth his while, but to waste much time on the old violin, but held it up with a smile. "'What am I bidding, good folks?' he cried. "'Who'll start the bidding for me? "'A dollar, a dollar, then two, only two. two dollars, and who'll make it three? Three dollars once, three dollars twice, going for three, but no. "'From the room far back, a gray-haired man came forward and picked up the bow.' Then wiping the dust from the old violin and tightening the loose strings, he played a melody pure and sweet as a caroling angel sings. The music ceased, and the auctioneer with a voice that was quiet and low said, What am I bid for the old violin? And he held it up with the bow. A thousand dollars, and who will make it two? Two thousand, and who will make it three? Three thousand once, three thousand twice, and going, going, and gone, he said. The people cheered, but some of them cried, We don't quite understand what changed its worth. Swift came the reply. The touch of a master's hand. And many a man with life out of tune and battered and scarred with sin is auctioned cheap to the thoughtless crowd, much like the old violin. A mess of pottage, a glass of wine, a game, and he travels on. He is going once and going twice. He's going and almost gone. But the master comes and the foolish crowd never can quite understand the worth of a soul and the change that's wrought by the touch of the master's hand. That's what's happened to this woman at the well. The master has touched her heart and changed her life. And there may be some of you here today who need that touch of the master's hand. Let the master mend the mess we've made. Let him determine your worth. Not that Samaritan village that had shamed that woman. You, we all have that spot. We all have that Samaritan village that, that we don't want to go to because we're ashamed. Let Jesus come in and heal that so you can run with confidence into those areas and say, yeah, yeah, that's me. But Jesus, the master's hand touched my life. She overcame fear and shame. 
we weren't meant to live two lives dealing with two different things. You were created perfectly in his image. Let him touch your heart. Today, um, well, when I was about three, my dad's brother died in a car accident. And his, um, since then, his cousin has been like an uncle to me. And we call him um, our Uncle Mike. And he told me, he's been coming here for about a year or two. And he told me last week, after service, he's like, yeah, I need to, I need to do this. I want to get baptized. I want you to baptize me. And I said, praise God, that's awesome. That's so cool. And we were kind of cleaning up last week. And I said, I, I'll be here next week. And he's here today to celebrate his, his new spiritual birthday. If there's anybody here today who needs to let the master's hand touch their heart and heal them like the Samaritan woman, we're going to have a few people. We'll have Mark and... Chad and I asked James, James Wiseman will be over here if you need prayer. If you've never given your life to Christ, they would love to pray with you. If you have and you've been feeling, gosh, that tugging to get baptized and say, this is who I am now. You can thank Kelly Scudstad for warming that water for you. It's ready. <laughs> Do it today. Make today. Labor Day 2016, your new birth. We're going to pray. And as I'm praying, if, if you're one of those people who wants to be baptized or you need prayer, it's time for God's spirit to move in your life and touch your heart. While we're praying, go ahead and come on up here. Okay? Will you bow your heads and pray with me? <clears throat> Father, we thank you. We thank you for... Um, not shying away from the awkward, the difficult, the pain that we, we try to mask and hide in our hearts. You're not, you're not here for a quick fix. You're not a, a self-help guru. You're here to do permanent change in our lives. You want to touch our hearts. You want us to live with purpose. You want us to enjoy sunsets and food and people the way we are created to enjoy them. Father, we thank you for sending your son Jesus to die on the cross so that we can experience life. And I pray for anyone here who has not experienced that, Lord, that, that they would in this day, Lord, begin afresh, begin new, and run to you, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.